0: The privilege to be with you again uh, this morning. And uh, we are currently in a series on single verses. Uh, We'll wrap that up next week and then we'll move into kind of big, profound uh, chapters that we need to to look at. We'll still expound them verse by verse, but we'll look at um, a few large chapters that I want to uh, walk you through and I think that are important to having a healthy church and having a healthy philosophy. Uh, of ministry and so we're just looking at a single verse and residing there. I've hand selected Titus two fifteen as our single verse and if you want to put a title on the sermon, it'll be the value and vision of preaching. I want to do something very different. I want to preach about preaching this morning and the reason I've selected Titus 2 15 is because I believe it's the shortest and clearest verse on a philosophy of preaching. And so you're going to go a little bit backstage to understand the calling of being an expositor. But my goal is so that you will learn to appreciate and to value and to even recognize good preaching when you hear it. And as we seek the next teaching pastor here, we want to be capable of knowing what to look for right and so i want to kind of preach on preaching so that you will gain a value and insight into the calling and into the task that is before us every single sunday as well as recognize good preaching when you hear it as well as recognizing a good pastor teacher when you see one as we seek out god's next man for this body of believers This is, in my estimation, the most important quality that person must have. Now, there are a lot of qualities you're going to want them to have, but you have to do a little bit of triage because God has chosen the foolishness and the foolish ones to articulate a profound message. So whoever stands behind this pulpit or sacred desk will have flaws. And so you're going to have to do triage. And I can tell you at the top of the list, They must be able to handle the scriptures. Uh, They must be able to expound, or to use another word, explicate the scriptures. They have to be able to handle the word of God. God wrote one book, and they have to know how to handle that book appropriately, and honestly, and fairly. The reformers had it dead right. They said that preaching is the supreme act of worship not the only act of worship this morning. We just completed one section of it. We, as an act of worship, sang together corporately. We then read scripture together. We then prayed together. But the supreme act of worship, we're going to give in a minute. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the supreme act of worship is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And so you might even wonder, especially if you're new to the faith, or you're on the perimeter of the faith. You might even wonder like where did this come from? What's well, what Daniel had read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save people. It is extremely countercultural. Where else do you find a guy who stands up for the next 45 minutes? Most of them go a lot less. But because you've got a good appetite, I can go a little longer. I typically go an hour. So I am being gracious on you. So you might be thinking he could it could be worse, right? So... Where else would a guy stand up behind a lectern or a pulpit? Uh, the, the, the Puritans called it the sacred desk. You know, where else would you see that? You don't see it anywhere else. It's because we believe the Sunday morning experience or the Sunday evening or whatever time we elect to gather as a corporate body, we believe it ought to be a little bit countercultural. I, mean, I stand up and with force, I hope you feel that every week, with force... I kind of take a text and I expound it and I'm literally pressing it into your soul. I'm calling for action. I'm calling for transformation. I'm calling for change. Who else is doing that? No comedians doing that. He's entertaining, right? He stands up, may stand up for a full hour, Ryan Regan or someone like that. But he's not trying to, he's not trying to change your life. I'm actually trying to change your life. I'm actually trying to transform how you think about God. I'm actually trying to transform how you you think about life, how you think about your marriage, how you think about parenting. I'm trying to transform everyone else. I never, ever, nor does any pastor stand behind the desk without force, without um, appeal, without trying to change something or to transform us. And the reason why is God has chosen the means of preaching as his primary means of grace in your life. Secondarily, I'm preaching a living book. This isn't the Courier Journal, right? This, 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 this isn't just a, a paperback book. This is the only book that has as its claim to be alive. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, right? So I'm preaching a living book. And then God, in his, in his wisdom, his profound wisdom, as 1 Corinthians 1 noted, states that I'm going to use flawless dudes, guys, to stand behind a podium... And to preach a pure, pristine, confounding message. That's preaching. And I want you to understand preaching. I want you to get behind the calling. So as you search for a man of God, you know how to articulate. You know and value what good preaching looks like. You know how counterintuitive it is. I can assure you most people in Bardstown are not getting up this morning and racing off to hear someone kind of press into them the word of God and even at times confront them. I love Vance Havner's quote. He says, as pastors, we are to comfort the afflicted and we are to afflict the comfortable. I love that. That's exactly what is behind what I do every single week. I want to comfort those of you. Uh, that need comforting, and I want to flick those of you that are really comfortable and kind of settled in and kind of status quo in your faith. So that's kind of what's behind the, 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 the task that's before us. And listen, you're going to see all the components of it in a section in this single verse. But my goal simply is this, to let the text talk. Um, if you're a good expositor, you don't make a lot of eye contact because we're always looking at our Bibles especially if we had an elevated pulpit or if you are in a bigger church, mostly what I would see if I'm really faithful in my preaching is the top of people's bald heads. You know, I'm just looking out and because they're always, you know, I've got one hand on the text and one hand pointed towards heaven. This is the posture you'll see of a pastor. Why? Because I'm the intermediary. I'm not authoritative. The word of God's authoritative, right? We'll see that in a second. But I'm standing between going, here's this and here you are and here's Christ. And let me help you understand uh, what that means. So my job is to let this text and every text we expound talk to you, right? Now, I can't change you. I wish I had the gift of transformation. That would be epic, right? That'd be a fantastic gift. If I could go and say, hey, you got a problem with your husband? I can fix him. Just have him come see Uncle Dan and boom, he's a new guy. Or whatever it is. I, I just can't change you. But what? Who changes us is the Spirit of God. So the Word of God works in concert with the Spirit of God. So that's why I have to expound faithfully the text to give the Spirit of God something to do in your heart. Now, sometimes I know exactly what I'm saying. I'm well thought out. I use notes, as you can see, uh, two-sided notes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty detailed in what I'm saying. But every once in a while after I preach, someone will come up and say, when you said this, it just brought a measure of conviction in my life. And I know I didn't say that. Who did say it? The Spirit of God did. See, the Spirit of God works through the sermon event. He works when we gather corporately. And He's speaking to your heart. And sometimes your mind will even trace off a little bit and then come back to the text. And oftentimes, I've experienced over the course of 30 years of preaching, that sometimes... People are convicted by the Spirit, and I know I didn't say it. But do you think I get into the competition with them? I didn't actually say that. That wasn't me. No, I just say that's awesome because I know that the Spirit of God, if I serve up the Word of God, will take it and just work it and press it into your soul. And it's a very beautiful thing. That's why you can't exchange what happens on Sunday morning for anything else out there in the culture or community. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but every once in a while someone said, you've got to hear this sermon. You've got you to hear this sermon. And so they passed me a link. It used to be a CD or a tape, right? They pass you something, and you listen to it, and you're on the way to work, and you're like, oh, wasn't that great? Or, you know, it was good. It was solid, but it wasn't as, as exciting as they were talking about, as exciting as why. Why is that? Because they were in the sermon event. They had sung their heart. They would kind of dug up the fallow ground of your heart. They've sung. They've prayed. They've prepared. They've gotten ready. And then the word works with the spirit. And everything's happening together. That's why you can't replace this. That's why you can't replace it with the internet. The body gathers. The spoken word of the pastor is given. The spirit takes all of that if it's faithful and true. And applies it to your life. And you're transformed. That's why you never want to miss this and that's why it's very countercultural. and God says this is the means, the grace in your life by which he will transform you. That's why you never want to miss church. It's not even an option for us as a family. We're we're going to be in church because we want to sit under the, the very word of God. So my job is to make sure I let the text talk. Another component is that you have to know it's rooted and grounded in the scripture. I'm It's called exegesis. It's out of the text. I don't come and I don't go, Okay, I got a sermon for uh, Crossings Bardstown and then I'm looking for a passage all week to preach. No, no, I go and I study a passage and out of that study comes a sermon versus me having a I know I want to. I want to give them a one-two punch on this, so I'm going to go find a text that does that. I don't do that. I go to the text that I feel like needs to be preached, and then out of it emerges the sermon. So it's rooted. It's grounded in the text. So these are just some components by way of introduction when we're thinking about preaching. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save people and to transform people. It was His idea. So when I preach... I know that I need to do so courageously and with compassion. Those are the two kind of pieces of it. I should do it courageously and I should do it compassionately. I don't want to fall in one of two ditches. On one side of the road, there's a ditch called I'm too hard. On the other side of the road, there's a ditch called I'm too soft. I don't want to get in either one of those ditches. I want to do it courageously and compassionately. But I don't want to be too soft on you. Right, But I don't want to be too hard on you. So I'm always working. And I just want you to appreciate the philosophy of preaching and all that goes into this very moment that I have to be very careful. And here's the kicker. I have James 3 in the back of my mind. You probably don't. James 3 says that I will incur a stricter judgment for doing what I do. So we're all going to be judged. One day you'll all stand before God and He will ask you, why should I let you into heaven? There's only one response, and that's because you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Then when the great white throne judgment comes, guess what? I will be judged stricter because I use my words to proclaim truth, and my life and my words need to match. And how I handle the scripture is how I believe about God and how I think about God. So if I go, if I overcommit or undercommit, there's judgment in that. So it's a very serious calling. So you come, you got here, and you, you got some makeup on. I appreciate that. You know, an old barn needs painting every once in a while, right? We're all dolled up here to church. And so we're here, and uh, you put on your best, and I'm here. But I'm just saying, there's a lot going on to this calling that you don't see. And I want you to appreciate about a pastor and how they work so hard. That's why they labor in the Word during the week. That's why you care for them, so that they can exclusively focus on preparing for you a meal not a snack but a full meal on Sunday morning especially when we don't meet on Sunday nights anymore and we don't meet on Wednesday nights and you may be in a small group you may not be I mean the intake level you know is important that's why we'll say like let's double down at least on Sunday if we're gonna only gather once a week because of the nature of the church plant but let's let's make it a humdinger right let's make it big let's go out big let's You know, you come hungry, I'll come with a meal. You know, we'll exchange And that's all that's going on there. But I want you to know there's an urgency and there's a gravitas. There's a gravitas to what we do. At the same time, it's not as easy as you think. Because preaching is unpopular. Very unpopular. As a matter of fact. Uh, Paul told uh, Timothy there in, Ephes- in in the city of Ephesus in 2 Timothy 4, there'll come a time where men and women will want their ears tickled. Well, we're called to box your ears, right? They're going to come a time where they don't want that. It's it's going to be unpopular to, to be faithful to, to preaching. And there's been seasons and times all through church history when it's very unpopular. Why? Because you're calling people out of error. Into truth, you're calling them out of darkness into light. I mean, it's just a tough calling, and people get frustrated. You're calling sin out at times. You're you're saying, "Hey, you're not doing as good this week, and you, you you can do better." So, oftentimes, we're also misunderstood. You know, if if I go too hard, you say I'm not loving. You know, if, if you if I go too soft one Sunday, you say he's he a compromiser, right? You see, what I'm saying, like it's what happens in your mind. You're thinking, oh, and so I'm constantly living in, in, in your pastoral living that that constant tension, trying to figure it out. It's costly. Doing this task has cost men uh, their their lives, and oftentimes what we say is just flat out rejected as crazy. That's why I try to get as much of myself out of the way and draw you to Christ, right, and to draw you to a fantastic. A text of scripture and draw your attention there and point there and say you see it for yourself you see it for yourself again I wish I could transform you I wish I had the authority you think the pastor might have but he doesn't I wish I could do that my job is to preach accurately and faithfully and forcefully as I can and to compel you to change but I can't change you so I live in this tension like I'm I'm kind of the means but I can't I'm not the end. I, I can't. I can't do that. That's the spirit's work. But the spirit says, when you gather, and when you sit under the influence of the scriptures, you will be different. You you should be a different husband. You know. You you should be a better you. At the end of 2018, you should look back and go, Hey, I've grown. And just jokingly sometimes with my wife. You know, when she's talking or we're doing counseling with somebody, uh, she'll tell a young couple, You know, I've been married to three different men. It's all me. know for 25 years but i'm changing right i I, i'm not the same and i'm thankful i'm not the same first five years of our marriage now i'm 25 years of marriage so you know if you're growing and maturing ladies especially you're getting three different husbands this is awesome you're getting to you're getting to experience the whole thing guys you got three different wives right because we're getting more like christ that should be the way you know some years are not so much a little flat line but all of this is how the word works in your life and it And in in your heart. So I want you to think about preaching. I want to preach on preaching. And I I want you to think about the vision and value of preaching. I want you to recognize good preaching when you see it. There's four components in this text that you need to be aware of. And I want you to also have a great appetite for it. Because it's a distinctive mark of this church. You have always, whether it was Daniel or the people we have fill in for you. Um, or myself, you've always had good preaching. I hope you recognize that. Like you're not you're not getting like, you know, the back burner kind of stuff. You're you're getting frontal, full throttled, forceful exposition. And and we won't as leaders settle for anything less because it's the supreme act of worship. It's where we spend the most of our time this morning, is understanding the preaching of God's word. So, let me give you a little bit of context. To what's going on here Because again we're kind of jumping around And parachuting into text We are in Titus Titus is the most important book for this church And the reason why is It is the church planting manual Of the New Testament So if you're going to plant a church in Bardstown Titus is the blueprint So you'll see Let me just break it down for you in three chapters In chapter 1 Titus, Paul writes to Titus and says Hey leadership defines the church That's all of chapter 1 Chapter two, he says discipleship builds the church. Older women discipling younger women. Older men discipling younger men. And he walks through all of that. And he walks through the household code. And then in chapter three, he says evangelism spreads the church. So leadership defines it. Discipleship matures it or grows it. And evangelism Reaching the community spreads it so Titus becomes the the church planting Manual it's it's extremely important now as you look at this particular text Keep an keep them keep in mind that they're on an island. It's on the island of Crete You can find it on your map the island of Crete and they were planting churches on this island. It's kind of island life though news travels fast on island life, so it's a bit messy and they didn't have a great opinion about what it was like to live on this island. Go north a little bit to uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Look at their own assessment of what it's like to plant a church on this island. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, like. Who would dare come into Barstown and say, all of Barstown are liars, gluttons, and evil beasts? Like, that would be insanity, right? This is Paul saying, hey, this island is messy. It's jacked up. And I love it because that's where you plant churches, where it's tough. You don't plant, you know, churches are hospitals for sinners. They're not hotels for saints. You're here because, guess what? You recognize you're a sinner, and you have issues, and I have issues right so you can tell it's it's a hard it's a hard you know task that he's he's facing here um titus like timothy remember he was young remember our first timothy four sixteen. he was he was young there were false teachers if you would look there in chapter one there are just a ton of false teachers that verse 11 says they've got to be silenced i mean it's messy they're 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 leading entire families away from the truth i mean so There's false teachers. You've got a young pastor. The whole island news travels fast. They're all messed up and gluttons and into fleshly desires. Right? Corrupt. And then top it off. They don't have a complete Bible. See, whenever you come to church, you bring your whole Bible. This is all that God has written. He's only written one book. Um, There'll be no more written. He promised in Jude 1-3. It's done. So this is it. They had none of that. So they're a relatively young church on an island without a complete canon. They might have had access to the Old Testament. Might. But it's not been produced in mass yet. So they don't even have a whole Bible. They got this young pastor, young whippersnapper. You know, you can picture him. He's, you know, he's out surfing half the day. You know what I'm saying? He's got board shorts on. He's trying to plant this church. False teachers are just destroying this place and taking people away from, from the church and from the body. I mean, you can just... I mean it's just a messy context. In the midst of that, he interjects this one short statement about the philosophy of preaching in Titus 2:15. Look at it. He tells Titus, this young pastor, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one let no one disregard you. Don't let anybody disregard you in the ministry. This is absolutely important. He wants Titus to understand that man-pleasers don't make good preachers. They just don't. That the pulpit is no place for preachers to study. They have to come and be ready to speak and to exhort and to reprove and to do so with authority. It's forceful and fearless preaching. Those are the the words you need to think about when you think about preaching. Now, what I'm thinking about is compassion and courage. You should feel the force of someone preaching and you should know they're not afraid of you. They're, They're standing up and hearing the word of God. And what's behind my thinking is this. It's John Piper's little statement when he said, people are starving for the Word of God. They just don't know it. So I know what's best for you is to expound the Word of God and to give you a faithful exposition because it's what the Spirit will use to transform your life. So what I'm trying to do is study and get a clear, accurate message right. And then on top of that, package it in such a way that it's thoughtful and careful and fearless in its delivery. Then in the full equation, back it up with my life the best I can, not perfectly, but, but to model it for you, to be as Paul told Timothy, to be an example, a blueprint of all these things. So precision of content coupled with thoughtful delivery that I've Really thought out how we're going to attack this text. And then backing it up with my life. There should be consistency. Not perfection, but consistency. That brings the force to the table. That brings all the components together. So that you will hopefully hear and appreciate and and value the word of God. So Titus 2.15 provides us for a blueprint of preaching. It's the text Small, pithy, but very clear on all the different uh, components that are necessary for you understanding preaching. And so what Paul gives Titus are four disciplines of courageous exposition. If you're to appreciate good exposition and you're to know what to hire when you acquire a man of God, then you would want these four disciplines and understand these four disciplines which provide us this philosophy of ministry. First, you want them to preach without distortion. That's the word, distortion. They are to preach without distortion. Like your TV, when it's distorted or fuzzy, it's frustrating. You know, if it drops down to 470... You know, DBI versus 1080 DBI. Everything's off a little bit in your teaching, uh, your TV. You're going to want to view something on TV without distortion. That's the same thing that is true with your preaching. And he begins with this little phrase, and every word matters, right? In good exposition, he says, these things speak. What are the these things? All that's contained in Titus. From chapter 1, verse 1, to the present, and into chapter 3, 18. All of these things, you're to press into the people. It's a summary statement. Everything that has been talked about here to four, Everything that he has written is obligatory, right? You're to teach these things, sound theology. You're to teach hard things. You're to teach... The easy things. You're to preach, as Acts 20 says, the whole counsel of God. This is why I like expository preaching. Because what it does, if we were in a normal flow, I would have started in Titus 1.1. And about a half a year later, we'd finished the book. And I would look at every text in Titus. We don't have that privilege in the interim. But um, that, that's how normal preaching happens. And the reason that's important is because I can't skip over anything. If a guy's always jumping all over the place, it makes me a little suspicious that he's only preaching his hobby horses. He's only preaching what he's living. I think good expository preaching, it, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The tough verses, you know, the, the things you don't understand, and they work hard, and they come up with meaning and clarity, and that's what's behind it. So it's speak these things, all of these things that are obligatory, the easy things, the hard things. You know, whatever is before you, the whole counsel of God. And then he says, these things speak. It's the first of the four imperatives here. He says you are to speak. It's a present tense imperative. You're to speak and you're to keep on speaking. Every single week, week after week after week. It is the way of ministry. It's the job description. We use our voice. We we use our words to compel obedience. We are to speak the very word of God. This word speak here is La Leo is it's really just a vanilla word. There's really no color to it, you know, there's no distortion in it. It just means to speak with one exception, with clarity. Listen to me, a good expositor isn't as concerned about being clever as they are about being clear. I always want you to leave understanding the passage that we walk through. If you walk away unclear about what was said, it will be unhelpful. It'll be seed planted in shallow soil and taken away. So clarity is my task, not cleverness. There are a ton of people who are clever in how they preach, but they're not as clear in how they preach. The calling of the expositor, of the pastor who stands behind the sacred desk, is always precision, getting it right, being clear. As a matter of fact, being in higher education for all these years, it's actually easier to be unclear. I just start using big words and lose you and wear you down with sentences and long phrases. That's why I had Daniel read that text. So I don't come to you with clever speech. And superiority of words. I come because as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 2. I come to be clear. That is of most importance. That you walk away with a full. And comprehensive understanding of that passage. I'm coming to teach you the mind of Christ. In that particular passage. This is why Paul told Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4. Remember we read that. Take pains in these things. The hardest work your pastor will do will to arrive at clarity before Sunday. He has to be clear. When you step behind and when you talk to people and share and explicate God's word, you have to be clear about the whole counsel of God. And in that, there's a lot. I don't want to add to the text. I don't want to say more that's in the text, right? I don't want to take away things that are in the text. I don't want to super interpret and go way beyond the text and tell you things you've got to do that aren't in the text. And I don't want to sub interpret. I don't want to say less than the text says. Right. So I'm always in this tension. Clarity. Making sure I let this text talk. Jesus and Matthew said that we ought to get every jot and every tittle. You ever seen that phrase in your Bible? The jot and tittle. Those are the two smallest markers in the Hebrew language. Just a little tick on a letter and just a little twist on a letter. All the way down to that. Every jot, every tittle, accuracy. Speak clearly when you speak, Titus. It ought to be a clear sound. We don't stutter. We don't confuse. We don't try to distort. We don't try to sound profounder than the word of God. God wrote one book for everyone from the the academic PhD and for the plow boy for the farmer and, and for the highly trained. It works in any context. It is the power of God onto salvation. And every word, as Isaiah fifty-five eleven, is profitable and doesn't come back void. So it's my duty, our duty, when we stand behind the pulpit, is to make sure we get a clear meaning of the scripture. Here's why. If you don't have the meaning of the scripture, You don't have the scripture. So I can get up and give you a great talk, right? I could get up and talk about leadership and I could talk. And it's probably true, hopefully, Um, but it's not the force of scripture. Scripture is binding. God is extremely clear. He wrote one book and getting that clarity is important. And so in order to serve up the spirit, something to work in your life, I've got to get the meaning. If I do not have the meaning of this passage, then I don't have the passage. I'm just talking around it. I might as well just jump off the ledge and say what I want to say, and you guys go, wow, he's amazing. I don't want you to say I'm amazing. I want you to say God's amazing. I want you to say the text is amazing. So faithful preaching does all of of that. It's very important that we preach without distortion. Clarity is King, it's at the top of the list, right? And he's gonna intensify as he walks through these three imperatives or four imperatives, but clarity is at the top because it's what the Spirit uses to do a work in your heart. So preaching has to be without distortion. Number two of four. We have to preach without manipulation. So without distortion and without manipulation. He says we are to speak That means to explain with clarity. And then he says, and exhort. And exhort. This is a great word. Um, It's the same word. It's parakaleo. It's the same word that is used to describe as a noun, the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete. He is the encourager. He is the exhorter in your life, the Spirit. Here... When the pastor speaks, he is parakaleo. He is the exhorter one. He is coming to exhort. It means to convince you. I'm building argumentation. I, I, I'm not just kind of saying, hey, you got here's how you live the Christian life. You could choose option A or option B or C or D or E or F. I don't really know. You go figure it out when you go home. And then you leave. Not transform. I'm coming to convince you of what the word of God says. Why? Because I have the meaning of scripture and I've studied myself clear and I know exactly the mind of God. So when I stand to preach, I do so with force. Why? Because I am 100% confident. I know exactly what Paul is talking about in this text. That's what emboldens a pastor. They know the mind of Christ on the issue, and that's why they're so fired up, and they spit, and they drool, and their eyes bug out, and their hands do all this kind of weird stuff. It's because we're all jazzed up, because we've got the mind of God on this issue. and That's why it's so important, and that's why it's so crazily countercultural, because nobody else is out there trying to convince you, even in a classroom. In, 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 if you were in a science class or a calculus class, the math teachers, that's why there's some warring they're not eternal. We're not talking about eternal things. So they're going up here. and you got to times this and subtract this. And everybody's like, oh, geez, shoot me in the head. Who cares, you know? I mean, your pastor comes with force because he's convinced he has the mind of Christ on this topic. That's why we're so crazy. And it's a little bit entertaining at times. You know, we do weird things with our legs. and I get that. But that's just because... A lot of times we don't even know what we're doing. And then they've got these weird tics you figure out. They they always do the same mannerisms, you know. And after a period of time, you're like, that's kind of weird. You know, and this, I'm just telling you behind all of this, but the reason why we're coming with force is because we speak with clarity and we're called to exhort. This word exhort is positive. It means to encourage you. Here's the thing about preaching. Preaching is not a one-size-fits-all. Some of you... By nature and personality, you need good exhortation. You need me to come alongside of you week after week, put my arm around you and say, you can do this. It stinks. It's messy, but you can do this. Others of you, like my personality, you're going to see in a minute, he's going to reprove. You need a good kick in the pants. See, I only like preaching that kind of like chops you in the throat and pokes you in the eye. and I mean, because I'm dumb, right? I'm a dullard and I just, things don't settle in as easy. Some of you, everyone's different in the room. Some of you need a good kick in the pants. Some of you just need someone to tell you they love you. God has a plan for your life. Stay in the fight. Parenting's crazy. You did this to yourself by having all these little kids. Relax. This is a season, and you, this too shall pass, okay? You, you'll figure this all out. Here's the deal, though. When I'm speaking, or whoever's behind this desk, I'm not just giving you information. I'm giving you divine perspective. And therefore, I'm seeking transformation. I'm preaching for a verdict. I'm calling you to change. And in some ways, and in some little way, I am here to assault your will. And hopefully that you don't know it. But in some times, I promise you, I will sooner, give me long enough behind this desk, and I will offend you. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but I can't remove the offense of the gospel. The offense comes because you're not living a certain way, and the Bible says you ought to live that way. And like me, when you're convicted, you gotta deal with it. You know, it's pin the tail on the donkey. When you got the donkey, you better repent, right? So just sometimes that happens, and that's why people get mad at us and they leave the church and they go somewhere else and, and 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 they say, I don't like that guy. Well, there could be reasons that you are being an offense. And they could leave. But by and large, by and large, people leave because the word's offensive if someone's faithfully preaching. You, so kind of remove the personality and always get to the, the truth, right? That's why, for me, it's thus says the Lord to you today. You, you, you need to know and value preaching because when they preach, they are the mouthpiece for God, they're not God. And they have no authority, which we're about to see in a second. But the word's authoritative. And so they preach with this faithfulness and forcefulness. But here's the deal. I can't do it with manipulation. I don't want to appeal to your emotions. I will at times because that's the nature of speaking. But that's not my goal. My goal is not to get you to temporarily transform. My goal in your life is the long game. That you are really changed. Like you don't go back to that anymore. That you say no to that sin and yes to this. And you're genuinely transformed. You're genuinely more godly. You're genuinely walking in the spirit in a greater way at the end of 2018. But I don't want to do that in manipulation. And you've heard it. You've watched it on TV. When guys whip up a crowd. And you know doggone well that guy didn't say anything. And there's 30,000 people sitting there going. You know and he's like this is your best life now. You know, and you're like, wow, neat, Turbo. That doesn't change anybody, you know? Like, it just doesn't change. So, like, it's very important that we do it, but we, we do it by the Spirit's influence and not my, my manipulation or the way I say it or craft. Now, I'm gonna work hard at the craft, so I've studied science, know the meaning of the passage, and then I'm gonna repackage it in the 21st century, and I need to do so thoughtfully but I have to really walk cautiously that I don't manipulate you into a decision. That we don't you know, play a thousand songs and wait for you to respond and try to get you to do something. It's not decisionism. It's transformation. That's what we're after. So I will use all biblical means at, that are at my disposal, short of manipulation, to assault and to gan- garner your will to take action and be transformed. But it shouldn't be my charisma. It shouldn't be my rhetorical ability. That's what Paul was countering in Daniel's text that he read. The word is sufficient. The word is authoritative. That's what you respond to. Now, it doesn't mean I get up here and monotonally read. I'm not hopefully I don't look like a chicken picking corn and I'm just staring at my notes. I'm interacting with you. I'm making eye contact. You know, I could just get up here and go make it extremely boring. We use every biblical means uh, in our disposal uh, sort of manipulation. <laughs> Those are windsucker preachers, you've heard them before, and to preach God's word. Uh, you know, I'm that's not what this is about. You know I want to give you a clear reading and text of scripture and you understand it and it's applied to your life. But I don't do it with manipulation. So I know that I'm inadequate. I can't bring about change, but I'm bringing about everything I got. I'm bringing every tool out. I got the saw out. I, I've got the screwdriver out. I've got a ratchet out. I'm, and I've got every tool in the tool belt for a pastor to come out. But at the same time, I have to step back and say, I'm not, I'm not going to manipulate you. You're going to have to make your choices. You're gonna have to, I can lead you to the water. You're going to have to drink, right? Because transformation is a divine grace By the Holy Spirit in concert with the spoken and preached word. That's what an expository ministry looks like. And that's what you should crave. You want someone that's going to give you the word of God. You don't want somebody that's going to give you a homily. I'll never beat Brian Regan in humor. I'll never beat, you know, Hollywood in entertaining you. I just can't compete, right? That's why preaching and gathering as a church is so countercultural Because we don't have all the flesh. we got some cool backdrops and some stuff. But trust me, this, this is not, you know, a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert here this morning. No offense, Troy. You know, um, you know, you can saddle up your horses somewhere else. We're not doing it. You know, like, we just can't. We're, but we have something they don't have. And that's the spoken word. Richard Baxter said it like this. He's a famous Puritan. He said, our calling is to screw the truth into the minds of men. So I just keep tightening it down week after week, right? You know, just keep tightening it down. We convince we don't manipulate, right? And we do so with all patience. This is what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus... Who is the judge living in the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. I have great patience with you. You should have great patience with me. You don't perfectly apply the word of God. I don't perfectly preach the word of God or even apply the word of God. Right? There's great patience here. So we are to preach without manipulation. Number three, we are to preach without hesitation. We're to preach without hesitation. Look at the third verb. These things speak, exhort, and here it is reprove. Reprove. Some people need convincing. That may be you today. But others of you need censoring, you need correction. Right? Some of you need to be encouraged. Others of you, especially the guys, you need a swift kick in the pants. You just need that. You need someone to get in your face and say, what are you thinking, Turbo? That is ridiculous. Why why would you think, why would you act like that? Why would you say that? You need censoring, right? That's a part of the preaching experience as well. And every Sunday, it could be a little different. You come in here a little weak, tired, and weary, you need to be encouraged, and I get it. You come in here a little cocky, full of yourself, you might need a swift kick in the pants, right? We do this with our kids. It's not one-size-fits-all preaching. You know. And, and if you look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 5 there, in the middle there, it talks about with some you comfort, with some you care, with some you censor. It just, it, it, this is called parenting. What you did with child one won't work on child two. What you did on child two won't work on child five. They don't, they don't come out cookie-cutter. They all come out with unique personalities. And you, how you handle them, one of your daughters, you can just go, boop, and they melt and cry, and holy terror comes upon them. And then the other one says, really, you want to go there? You know, you want some of this? You know, that's just person. That's a lot. Well, that, you're just like children when we're preaching. Some of you are bowing up saying, you want some of me? You know, and I was like, yeah, I'd like a little bit. Come well, on, let's go. You know, let's tussle a little bit. Others of you are like tired and worn out. I get it. That's okay. That's called body life, Right. That's how this works. But some of us need censoring. Some need explaining. Some need convicting. Some need correcting. He says here, reprove. Remember the last term encouraged was a positive term. Reprove is not a positive term, it's a negative one. It means to admonish, to correct, right? To convict. Sometimes a good rebuke's in store. Right? Oh, we new Oh, you, we counsel you. It's we call counseling neuthetic counseling. It means to admonish. It means to say, hey, here's your real problem. You gotta figure out what you're doing and connect it to a root sin. That's called neuthetic counseling or biblical counseling, right? You see, preaching ought to have a little bit of teeth. You know? Pre pastors, you want a pastor that will bite every once in a while. You don't want this sappy dude with a tie halfway up here. You know, it looks like he comes out of, you know, 1956 McDonald's, you know. And Hey, brother. Hey, sister. And he's got no teeth. You want, you want a dude that will show up at your door when you're all, all, you cross the line. Right? You want someone to, if you really admit, truly, if you're walking in the spirit, you want a dude that will get in your face a little bit. Right? They're willing to do some, some hard things. You don't want a man pleaser. You want someone that will correct you, that will come by your house and say, hey, your mouth is massive, you know. You're, everybody knows about it in Bardstown. You might want to clamp it down a little bit, you know. You want somebody to tell you that, right? I would, I do. I want. I have people in my life that have, that is your only job, is to beat me up every week. You know, you stink, you know that, right? You're horrible. Oh, thank you. We call each other and text each other. Hey, you're an idiot. Hey, thanks, man. It's just a good reminder that you're, you're not all that a bag of chips. You know, you're not, gonna, you're not as cool as you think you are, you know? And you just need kind of a pastor with a little bit of teeth, right? Now, it's connected to the Word of God. I don't want it to just be a personality thing. Because the Word of God is alive and is sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to cut, right? And to divide and to discern So you can hide behind, you can hide from me, but you won't hide from the truth of Scripture, right? And we're to do this with love and with with patience, but preaching with some conviction to it. Trust me, you want a guy that's got some snap to him. You don't want somebody that's just going to coddle you and love you, love your kids. You want someone to say, hey man, what what was that? That was weird. That doesn't seem right. You don't want a man pleaser. You want them to preach without hesitation. They don't pull a punch, right? Because the word of God does pack a punch. But I have the ability as its responsibility to articulate. I can pull that punch a little. I can soften it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, your tongue's not that bad. We all got one. It's two-ounce member hidden behind a, a prison, incarcerated behind teeth. So when you look in the mirror, God says, hey, idiot, you see your teeth? That's a prison. Keep your tongue behind your teeth, right? See? That's what that's for. So you you want somebody. The word of God has some teeth. It it packs a punch. It leaves a mark. That's the way you should do. Every Sunday you should say, man, I am so glad I went to the church and now I got a new mark on me. It left a mark. It smacked me a little bit, right? That's good. It's lethal. It's life-changing. It's altering. It's costly. And you want a guy who will be faithful to do it regardless of the cost. Now, that doesn't mean that I do it to manipulate or I do it to be offensive or I go out of the way because I can cross the line and sin in that as well, right? It's just the grace of God. But you have to sort through all that stuff because your first flesh response when I, you know, if you throw a a, a rock in a pack of dogs, you know the one it hit because it yelped, right? Well, same thing's true of a church. I can throw a rock out there and, and when you bark, oh, I don't like him. It's usually because you got hit by the rock, right? So we all know this. Like, you're not juking us, you know. It's not like Jack and Jesus juke thing. We know what we know this is going on, right? Let's go on. He says you're to do this with all authority. That's not the first verb. He's qualifying it. You're to do these three things with all authority. I am to preach with full authority, but we need to define that authority, okay? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean, let me tell you what it does mean real quick. I'm not authoritative. I'm only authoritative as I stay and and preach and clearly articulate the word of God. The word of God is authoritative. This isn't, you know, I don't know if you've been watching it, but that new show, Waco, you see it, This just came out, it's two episodes out, I've watched the two, this third one comes out February 8th, but this isn't Waco. We're not the Branch Davidians in Bardstown, all right? I'm not authoritative. I don't go, hey, I'm the fifth seal. Watch out. This isn't Revelation 5. I'm just a normal dude living at home just like you do, you know. It's crazy right there. Like, this is the way this works, you know. This is how this is. But I, but I can speak with authority, right, because I speak on the, on the grounds of the Scripture, the very Word of God. But I'm not authoritative. If I say we're all doing Kool-Aid at one, run. (laughs) Run, 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 as far away from me as possible, right? I'm not a bishop, I'm not the Pope, I'm not even close, I don't have a hat like that. Like the hat though, it's true, I do want the hat. But bottom line is I'm not authoritative in myself. I'm only as authoritative as to the word of God. That's why I'm always one finger in the text, one towards heaven, right? And Peter said it well. Whoever speaks is as do so as one who speaks the very oracles of God. If I don't sync up with the word of God, please, by all means, throw what I say to the side. Beat it to the dogs. Move on. But as it's textual based and truthful and accurate, God has chosen, as you heard it, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to transform your life. That's why you're sitting here listening to a dude for 45 minutes. There's not even a TV show out there going 45 minutes. Take out the commercials. It's 30. You know, this is craziness. Yeah, because God told us to do it, right? Luther said the pulpit is the throne room of God. And so I come with the full authority as I'm accurate and faithful to the text. But I'm telling you, I'm not authoritative in no way, in no shape. I am to... Preach with accuracy the word of God. Last, fourth is here in the last part of this verse. Fourth thing about preaching, you got to preach without intimidation. Let no one disregard you. Remember, it was an intimidating island. It was island life. Had all these strikes against him. And Titus is a bit intimidated. That's why he's trying to say, hey, you got to stand up and play the man. And, and it's going to be tough. It's in, It's intimidating. He says, hapax, no one, he says, is to disregard is the word. No one should disregard you without exception. No one should reject the things that you're saying as long as they're tied to the scripture. Nobody should disdain you. Right. Nobody should intimidate you. But this happens all the time. People can be intimidating. You know, they come and they want their kids to be married at the church and they come to the pastor and say, will you marry our kids? And one's a believer and one's not. We can't do that because the, the scripture says you can't marry an unbeliever as a believer. So I have to say no. And you're the biggest giver at the church, and you get mad, you know. And you say, "Well, you don't do that. I'm going to hold back my tithe." A little intimidation day. And then I just headbutt you in the face. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. That's not what Christ would do. But you know, that's that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. It's the intimidation, you know. And it makes me want to soften a little bit and, and take out the teeth and make it a bumble text. You know, like remember bumble from Rit, uh, Rudolph, you know, that big white thing and the big ferocious thing. But it's got no teeth. It's got no you don't want to be a bumble in the in the pulpit. Right. Or they'll say, that's your interpretation or that's your this or that's your that. And I'm like, no, no, that's what the word of God says. You see. So he's telling Titus. So I just want you to know the reason we come with forcefulness and faithfulness because we have texts like this that say hey don't let anybody disregard you I answer to God I'll also answer to the elders of the church if they don't like anything right I I submit there as well but first and foremost it's to God and God is is, you know he'll he'll deliver a a mighty good whooping too but but I'm not just going to preach because of what you think you might need I'm going to preach with what I know Heaven wants you to hear that Sunday because it's in the next section of the Scripture and I'm faithfully working through the text of Scripture and I'm going to be accurate and by means of grace coupled with the Spirit, your life will be transformed. can't be despised. So I preach with courage and I preach with compassion. And as you look for the next pastor, these four imperatives that they speak and keep speaking the Word of God, that they exhort and comfort you that they reprove you when necessary, and they are not intimidated. They're not. They don't have a fear of man. The fear of man makes for bad preachers. So when you're looking, and when the elders and leaders are looking around at the pastor, they want to look at these four imperatives. Make sure that they'll do all of this, not just not just that he's a sweet Jesus preacher and he only exhorts. No, no. You want him to. You want all of this in the ministry. You want all of this. Behind uh, your your pulpit, you wanted to be courageous yet compassionate. So, as crazy as it sounds, we just preached on preaching, and I think you kind of understand the discipline a little better. I think you understand why we do what we do. It's important for you to know because some of you are new to church or new to this church, and so you come every week and you're like, "What is all this stuff? Why do we do what we do?" Remember, last week we talked about what is the gospel and why it matters. This week is what is preaching and this is why it matters. Because your life will be transformed as you sit under the word of God. And then guess what? Tomorrow morning when you get up and you start reading your Bible, guess what? You're going to be transformed even further. You won't be the same person. And then you'll be able to say after 25 years of marriage, you've been married to three different dudes all in the same person because they're they're becoming more like Christ every day year or two right there that's just the way this works so I want you to love preaching it's clear you always already do you only fidget a little bit right now you get a little nervous because I'm getting close to 12 and you're hungry and I'm hungry you know or I'll get a little fidgety but preaching makes you hungry I'm convinced of that like I'm starved I could I could eat a skunk after I'm done preaching I'm that hungry you know it's craziness right so We're gonna do a couple more things though. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's table in response to understanding preaching this morning. And really it's a celebration of the gospel. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone, can I encourage you that today is the day for that? Don't put it off to tomorrow. Today's the day. And So if you're wondering like, what is this guy talking about? It's because you need spiritual eyes to see and hear spiritual things. And if you can't quite get it, it may be because you don't have a spiritual heart. You've got a heart of flesh and you need it transformed by the power of the gospel. So if you'd like to talk afterward, I'd love to show you what it means to be a Christian and how you can trust Christ and repent. And then we're about to picture, visually picture the gospel as we take the Lord's table together. Let me pray. You consider the decision points that you need to make this morning. We're going to put some scripture up on the screen. Troy's going to come up and lead us and we're going to continue to worship. Worship didn't stop. We're going to continue to sing. Share the Lord's table. Even giving is an act of worship. And that's how you should view your your giving um, today. So let me pray. The team will get set. And we're going to celebrate. Father thank you for this morning. And for your word. And for this single verse. Which defines the calling. It gives this body a target. The kind of man of God they should look for. And search out. It reminds us that. There's a lot that goes into gathering and worshiping together. Lord, I pray this church would always love preaching. They would always love good evangelistic preaching. Lord, it even teach them how to study the Word of God for themselves. And Lord, as we turn into the Lord's table, we do so remembering your death, your brutal death on the cross. And how for three hours, God... Put all the sins of all who would ever believe on you. And you died in our place. And that we celebrate now in the Lord's table. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.